0: Hello, and welcome to Farscape Friday, episode 61. I'm Kay here with my co-host Taz. Hello. This week we'll be discussing the 17th episode of season three. Let's get started. Welcome back. Here's a quick summary of the choice. Aaron goes down to a refugee planet filled with mystics and scammers. Spending most of her time drunk and seeing a past John, she meets a man claiming to be her father. Things get complicated when Zalek soon shows up and Stark and Krace fight over who's better for Aaron. The Choice
1: is an episode that deals directly with the fallout of John's death in Daedalus Demands Part 2. And it also wraps up other storylines for the Talon crew. Namely, the final resolution between Aaron and her mother, whose surprise isn't dead. So the story is about grief and about how Aaron and her mother and others deal or really don't deal with their grief. It's working through losing people. And it all plays out in this elaborate con job on this planet of fake psychics. And, you know, it really wasn't until I realized that framing of it, like that planet, was full of charlatans that I felt like I really fully understood this episode because... My memory of it from the first time I watched it was like, I like the Aaron stuff, and I didn't understand the rest.
0: Yeah, there's some episodes that really just set up really interesting planets, and I feel like this is one. Like, there are some planets that you can still remember seasons later, and this is one of them. And I think because it all feels so visceral and gritty and dirty, in a way, like literally everything on this planet looks dirty. It looks like it's all caked in dirt everything is all tagged and graffitied, even the room she's staying in. It just, it feels, it it feels really viscerally like this is the part of the uncharted territories that we don't really see that often.
1: Yeah, it's a seedy underbelly of a city, and there's dead people lying in the streets. You have a diagnostian coming to, c- to collect bodies for his, you know, experiments or whatever. Everyone is oozing blood or wrapped up in sheltering cloth or sheltering cloaks, mm-hmm. and it's raiding, and it's dark. Remember how we talked about the, the Blade Runner feel for the the Litigara planet? That kind of has a little bit of that, except even more run down.
0: Yeah, this kind of feels like a modern-day Blade Runner, which, I mean, we haven't seen the newest Blade Runner movie, so we don't <laughs> know if this is what it's going to feel like. But yeah, it, I definitely got the same feeling, and I think it's planets that are perpetually dark and feel really seedy. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Or it feels really lived in. Let me put it that way. Like, I think lived in is a better word.
1: So the cold open of this episode is this really grungy, dirty, you can't tell it's a hotel lobby, but it's kind of hotel lobby in front of this hotel Aaron is staying at. And you see John Crichton standing in the rain in a blue shirt and jeans. And I think it's his outfit from a human reaction.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is.
1: And you see somebody in a, in a hood walking by and it's revealed later to be Aaron who sees him and they exchange this look with each other. And when she turns around again later after being startled by one of the people, he's gone. And so it's Aaron seeing John Crichton's ghost. And that's the theme throughout this entire episode that she just sees him everywhere. Mm-hmm. And she has come to this planet because she is grieving for him. And I'm going to just set up... You know, where everyone is at with the characters setting up where everything is at, with Krace and Stark and Rigel up on Talon arguing about should they get Aaron to come back or not.
2: It's your fault, Aaron's down on Valdon! foot trying to help! Trying to help. She's in mourning for Crichton! How are you helping her by filling her head with crazy tales about spirit channelers? It's not crazy! She wanted to get away from you. She sees you following her. Oh, I'm following you. You're the one that's following me. You. Aaron wants me around. She wants me to watch over at her. She, she, she wants me to protect her from people like you. You stupid, selfish knack-knocks. Eren has made it clear she wants nothing to do with any of us. She wants no part of your plan to find oh, Moyer. I areas. can't leave her on Veldon. It's dangerous. It's filled with mystics and criminals then it's just like here you're a mystic and we're criminals but Aaron doesn't want to be here you don't understand I uh... what is it we don't understand slave she... she's going to talk to Crichton
1: all right I just want to say first off Rigel still gets the best lines and in this episode, he still gets mm-hmm. the best lines. You're the mystic; we're the criminals. She doesn't want any part of it. But this episode, a lot of it is driven by, or at least the action of the of the three men who are still on Talon, is driven by Stark and his his need to get to Aaron. And we, this is something we've talked about throughout this season. All these creepy moments of Stark being a, a creepy Macriester with Aaron, like gazing at her and you can and being too close and saying weird things. You can. Get that vibe from this conversation here as well, and also Stark projecting Aaron running away because of Crace, and so saying Crace is what drove her off. This he's like that still doesn't trust Crace at all. Hmm.
0: Yeah, I think that Stark, the creepy dude who's like, you know, the like nice guy dude, mm-hmm. you know, like nice guy T M. That really comes through in this episode in like in a lot of ways and. We'll talk later about Aaron's reaction to to Stark. I think that it's interesting that Krace, who's always been very clear about his desire for Aaron, Stark is kind of putting on Krace like this more nefarious purpose than I think Krace has. Mm -hmm. Because like the Krace in this episode isn't actually that creepy. He's this guy that used to have a crush on this girl. And now the girl's in mourning. And now he's just kind of like trying to get her home, you know? Yeah.
1: And it's like he's the one who's saying she's grieving. Why did you put her when she's vulnerable in this situation by telling her about this planet, you know? Mm -hmm.
0: And then I want to point out that we've had Chiana for several episodes now being the only adult in the room. And now we have Rigel (laughs) being the only adult in the room.
1: (laughs) So true. So, yeah, throughout this episode, Rigel is definitely the adult.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's hilarious. One of the things Farscape does really, really well is it just sets up these like long character arcs, and I feel like the character arc of Rigel the adult is something that we've had a long time coming, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. And so it's kind of like it's good to see some character growth from him in the sense that he's not like, oh well, let's just leave her. He's like, he's like, she's in mourning. You guys are jerks. She like she's clearly told us what she wants leave her alone right until she's okay you know
1: yeah where he's respecting the boundaries that she's set mm-hmm.
0: yeah. yeah actually that's a good that's a good way of putting it like boundaries because I think that boundaries actually is a really reoccurring theme in this episode both in terms of like the boundary of life and death the boundary of like reality and fantasy and then just like the actual like emotional boundaries that Aaron has put up mm-hmm. it has been trying to essentially tell them like I need time. I need both of you not to be weird. But I think mostly she needs Stark to stop being weird.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I hadn't thought of boundary as being like a central theme to this episode, but that's a really excellent way of putting it. I really like that.
0: So I want to talk a little bit about Aaron's outfit here um, because... I am a huge fan of her makeup and her hair in this episode because her makeup and her hair. Oh my god, yes. Oh my god, she looks so beautiful. And you can totally tell it's like this makeup of like the smoky eye, like I haven't been sleeping and I've been drinking. But at the same time, she's Erin Soon, so she's just so unbelievably beautiful. Mm-hmm.
1: And her hair is not in a ponytail as it usually is. It's let loose mm-hmm. and down around her hair. Um, we haven't really seen that since season one. And she's not wearing her any kind of peacekeeper clothing. She is mm-hmm. wearing a dress. It has a hood. It's purple. It's a little ragged. Kind of has that feeling that she bought it on the planet as second hand or fifth hand from the skeevy underbelly of where she's staying. Mm-hmm. And it's like she's she's dissociated herself from her her peacekeeper side, her person living on Moya's side. She's trying to get away from all of that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think the dress is like the one thing I'm not a huge fan of. I think because it's made of like this velvet stuff that I just find mm-hmm. like really like optically unappealing. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm like, Ugh, I wish I'd made that out of like literally any other fabric. <laughs> so going back to the episode, Stark and Rigel go down to the planet to try and find Aaron, And Rigel goes down because again, he's the only adult in the room. Stark goes down because he can't <laughs> Like, seem to see that Aaron finds him really unappealing and really gross right now.
1: Well, he's obsessed with her. And we've talked about this a little bit in the past where he's transferred his... Love of Zan into this twisted attachment to Aaron because Zan traded her life for Aaron's right mm-hmm. in the, the beginning of season three, and so he's had this weird connection with her, or at least he's felt this weird connection with her, where he feels that Aaron is somewhat his responsibility because he was close to Zan and Zan took on saving Aaron.
0: Mm-hmm. And actually, that whole Zan thing really comes up here because as they come down to the planet, Stark begins hearing Zan, and one of the things that Is really unclear throughout this whole episode is that while everybody on this planet is a fake and a charlatan, there also are some really unexplained supernatural phenomenon going on. Mm -hmm.
1: Well, I think that's why this episode, for me at least, was very hard to follow the first time, and even on my first rewatch. Because I actually watched this one twice for our rewatch, and that's because you know in. A world like Farscape where the world building does have fantastical elements. You have Zan's supernatural powers. You have Maldus, even though we hate Maldus, but you have that kind of energy being kind of thing. So like how much of that is real and how much is not? And I think as viewers, we're primed to accept that maybe something mystic is going on here and that it's not a fake. Mm -hmm. She really might not be seeing John, but there there might be something else that can reach him through the great beyond, right? Mm -hmm. And and I think on second watch, when you know of the con job, once you know that Zalex is in play, then you can kind of see where what's real and what's not real. But as you said, there is Zan's voice, you know, and mm-hmm. there's still even with kind of knowing it's a con job, not knowing where that boundary
0: between reality is. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. And I mean, to kind of bolster the possibly actually real spiritual elements going on in this episode... We have Rigel's reaction to the planet. So I want to play Rigel talking to one of the fake psychics. Or maybe not so fake. Let's find out. <laughs> Grace?
2: Grace! I talk to the dead. I see. Oh,
0: stop.
2: Just stop. That blood's so fake it's laughable. Kill! <laughs> to your parents how do you know her name she knows that a domino can just no, no, get away I from me no. secrets secrets she didn't want
1: me to tell you again Rigel with the best lines saying oh, that blood is so fake I was laughable and then ha ha ha, ha. That cracks me
0: up I know I love it, like fake laugh ha 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 but so this is another moment we get some Rigel backstory you know mm-hmm
1: this is what I was thinking when I was watching it. So on the one hand,
0: is this a real supernatural event where
1: this this person with the bleeding eyes says, hey, I, I, this person you once loved knows it wasn't your fault that you had to break up. You were a dominar. She obviously wasn't of the same social class. It couldn't work out. And at the same time, I'm wondering, we know that zalak's son has gone through and paid a lot of people in this hotel to set up this elaborate con for aaron with her father uh i'm gonna air quotes talon is how i was writing about it in my notes mm-hmm. and but could she have through her research on moya and, her, and aaron's companions come across this story and seeded it but at the same time would she have bothered with trying to con rigel as part of this i don't know right? yeah
0: yeah I mean, I think that that's actually something I hadn't thought of, but now that you're pointing it out, that's really interesting.
1: Yeah. And I kind of go back and forth on it because on the one hand, Zalek seems so focused on Aaron, mm-hmm. but on the other, it, you know, you could kind of see it as part of the con as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that hmm I think that either is a really good interpretation because I think that if we're supposed to see the John that Aaron is seeing as kind of like when Stark was still hearing Xan early after her death or, you know, any of the other mystical times that we've had on Farscape, then maybe the fake psychic was actually picking up on something real. But then hmm but yeah, then that's a really good point about Zalex being incredibly thorough. Yeah? You know? And maybe just trying to throw Rigel off. I think maybe the only reason that that might not be true is that then we see Stark and Rigel seeing Zalix. They get really surprised. Zalix goes after the guy that shot or that that talked to Rigel and she shoots him for talking to Rigel. Mm -hmm. So it kind of, I think that if she was trying to pull something over on Rigel, then she wouldn't have shot him.
1: Yeah, no, that's a good point. It's a good point
0: because she's mad at him for talking to Rigel in the first place. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I think also, if you think about the structure of the episode, having it be ambiguous like that, um, because at this point in the episode, we don't know that there's this, you can kind of suspect maybe, but the the con has not been revealed Mm -hmm. that Zalex is manipulating Aaron to such a degree. So let's actually jump to Aaron's storyline. since she is the focus of the episode. At the first clip we played, Stark was saying, Aaron wants to talk to John Crichton. Mm -hmm. And then we jump cut to Aaron in the hotel room, talking on the communications, saying, I want to talk to the person who said they could find my father. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't John. It was Talon. Talon Lichek, her father. And he shows up, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. And it's just like this really weird kind of kind of thing because he one doesn't look like a peacekeeper. He's he's got half his face that could be sebastian type. The other side of his face is warped and has growths coming out of it. it kind of reminded me of of Aaron going through the pilot transformation.
0: Ooh yeah, me too.
1: And he says he disguised himself so that he couldn't be found by the peacekeepers because he was hunted. And he produces a genetic testing thing that the peacekeepers have, and it's an older model, but they do a genetic test, and oh, my blood spectrum matches your blood spectrum, so therefore we must be related, mm-hmm. or DNA, or however it works. So it's this kind of this kind of weird popping out thing, and. It's just like, oh, they've brought back Aaron's mother and made this whole to-do about how she had to kill his father back in Relativity. Mm -hmm. And then here's her father. And it's just, it feels like jumping the shark a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then later on, it turns out that it's part of Sun's revenge against Aaron, that it's a fake, as all these people are here are fake. And it's just like, I don't know. It's
0: Yeah. (sighs) I can see what you mean about like the real struggle with when you're watching it the first time and you're kind of like, Oh, so her dad just happens to be on this random planet that they randomly go to, and he just happens to like recognize her enough to say that he can help her find Talon, even though Aaron's own mother didn't recognize her the first time she saw her. So it's kind—I of, I can definitely see what you mean about it feeling a little bit like eh. And then I think once you know that it's a—it's a fake. I think that that works for me. I think that like, the whole yeah. second half of this episode really works for me because uh, the Aaron in this episode is just so done mm-hmm. and you can see like sparks of her old self coming through, but it's just not there. Like I want to play her and the hotel host because the hotel host pawned off Rigel and Stark by being like, oh, we don't have any sedations here, but then we also find out that he's being paid off by Zalix. And so this is him and Aaron.
2: Have you seen him before? Yes, I've seen him. Well, do you know who he is? No one. Just, I hear he's been studying with the Nelix who channeled the dead. Do you know where he's from? No. I just heard he's been hiding on Valdon for a few cycles, but everyone's hiding, so... Was he a peacekeeper? I don't know. Cool. Someone could use some felip nectar. You know where to get it. What a good idea.
1: Yeah, so so this is just after Aaron has met and done the genetic test with Talon, and she's suspicious of him, which I think is a credit to Aaron. She's not buying it wholesale. But at the same time, she lets it go very easily, turning to the Philip Nectar when when the host basically says, hey, why don't you go drink some more and stop paying mm-hmm. attention to this guy.
0: Yeah, and so it's like you can see like the hint of who she usually is, you know, the suspicious Aaron, the Aaron that's like at least at least willing to question things. But then that kind of call to the Philip Nectar. She spends like a hundred percent of this episode nearly blackout drunk. Like I'm going to put yeah. that out there. Like it's very clear that this entire episode she is very, very drunk.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and I think that's what's not just the drinking, but the whole atmosphere and Claudia Black's performance of Aaron throughout this episode. We've been talking about lots of the talking parts and the and the beats. But there's a lot of of quiet space made for Erin in this episode as well. We kind of glossed over it, but one of her first scenes is actually with the memory of John from the locket. Mm -hmm. who appears in her room. She sees him in a mirror and then she turns and he's old old John is sitting in the chair and he says, you remember, right? And then there's this whole mirroring of a scene from the locket with her actions in the present where she's holding her chest in the locket. It was a physical chest pain. Here, it's her broken heart of the emotional pain of losing John. And it's just this really beautiful scene that really encapsulates the loss that she has gone through. With Mm -hmm. losing John and feeling like she's lost a part of herself and her better, her ability to be a better person.
0: I think that, weirdly enough, as much as these scenes really work for me in context, like all the scenes that they chose to like do flashbacks to, I was kind of like not, I was kind of like, okay, but we've seen that. Like, I really (laughs) wish that what they'd done was like gone back And, like, made fake flashback scenes. Do you know what I mean? Like, her flashing Mm. back to something we didn't see. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because, like, number one, my whole thing was, like, how does she remember the locket? That reality doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. And then I was kind of, like, and then I, and, like, the fake Earth stuff really worked for me, kind of. But, like, I, I agree that one of the things this episode does really well is give her that space to grieve. I think kind of in contrast to Taking the Stone, because Taking the Stone is the other grief episode we have. And you're in my major complaint in that episode was that in an episode about Chiana grieving, there was almost no Chiana grieving, Mm -hmm. you know? There was like almost no space for her. And then this episode just has so much space for Aaron. And then they keep doing these flashbacks that, again, I'm not like... I'm like, eh, you know, okay. But, like, I wish they'd chosen something other than the locket, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I get what you're saying. It, it doesn't bother me particularly. The locket thing, I think, is, like, oddly, as much as I dislike that episode, I kind of like its use here. mm mm-hmm. Because it's, like, it's the whole... The future you couldn't have with mm. him. And... So there's this whole future where she got to live with John Crichton into an old age and die of old age with him. Yeah. Right? And now that he is dead or the Talon John is dead, she does not get to have that future with him. Hmm. I don't know. So oddly, that one worked for me pretty well. Yeah, yeah. What I liked more were the moments when the ghost of John came to her in where she was in her hotel room. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think when you said that the one on the fake earth that would work for you, that's the one about middle of the episode. So it's it's her and John, the ghost of John is sitting on the window. She's at like 30, 30th floor of this high rise hotel. It's not really the 30th. We don't know. It's really high. And. There's this open ledge and she keeps going out on this ledge where this is dropped. So there's also this kind of thread of, will she jump? Does she feel suicidal going mm-hmm. on? We can talk about that in a minute. But John in a tank top and jeans is sitting on the sill and she's sitting next to him. And she recreates the scene in the safe house from a human reaction where John kisses her shoulder and then kisses her where she is the one kissing Ghost John's shoulder and kissing him and it's flashing between the two of them and it's really poignant Mm -hmm. and that's one of the most moving parts of the whole episode for me where she's trying to recapture basically, it's not their first kiss but it's the prelude to their first time they had sex together and this moment where they are alone against the universe kind of situation. Yeah,
0: I think that in that moment in human reaction it's really the first time that she lets herself be vulnerable and lets herself rely on John to a mm-hmm. certain extent because like in the past she's always been able to hold herself apart and to be independent of him but in a human reaction she's really dependent on him because they're stuck on earth and she doesn't know earth at all and he does and the fact that she has to trust him after his species did all these horrible things to the, her crewmates they, I mean they weren't right. necessarily her friend friends at that point but they were definitely her crew
1: and, and they had that bond of being aliens on a planet full of Krytons
0: yeah yeah, I think maybe that is why it works is that like that one, the flashbacks and the parallels were like a little more, it just melded a little better. And it really did have that feeling of like, when you're grieving someone and you're just thinking and rethinking and rethinking about all of the moments that you had with them. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and I think it also conveys the real sense of longing. Mm-hmm. And I wish you were here with me. Yeah. And I hate that you're not here with me.
0: Yeah, so back on Talon, Rigel and Stark are con- have confronted Krace about the fact that he let Zalix live, and Krace's explanation is, they would have sent someone else. If mm-hmm. if I'd killed Zalix, they would have sent someone else, so instead I spared her life and had her lie for us. But Stark is not really in a place where he believes anything that Krace <sighs> says, and Rigel is more pragmatic, but Rigel also doesn't care at all. You can tell that yeah. Rigel's kind of like, "Nah, okay, I, mean, I don't care enough about this to really go for Grace here
1: yeah I mean he understands Kreis's reasoning he probably agrees with it but he's not gonna stand for Kreis
0: yeah and so Stark takes Kreis down to the planet so that they can meet Aaron and so that Grace can reveal his his badness but in this moment you really can see with the triangle of Stark Kreis and Aaron you can see why she left even to come to this <laughs> shitty shitty planet <laughs>
1: So they're in the hallway outside of Aaron's room, and Krace is handcuffed, and Stark has a pulse pistol.
2: Get down on your knees, face the wall. I am not getting on my knees. Get down! You told Rigel you'd be calm. I am calm, you get down now! That's not my future. Give me my future. Aaron, you must return to Talon. We. We saw Xalax here on Veldon. It's this place. You should see who I've seen. No, no. Your mother is really, really here. No. Guess who I've seen. Crichton. And guess who else? My father. Any micro at now, Stark. You're going to see Zan. You stop. You listen to me. He... He never killed Xalax. He was preparing to betray us. That is not true. I made a deal for all of us. Liar! Liar! Now, you must come back with us. I will look after you. I want to look after you. That would be really nice. Oh, please. Don't touch me. Aaron, Xelux is alive. (laughs) Come on. Come on. Come on, Chris. You can tell the truth. Mm? You get up. Get away from him. that's all right. He wants me. Isn't that right? You always wanted to take me from Crichton, and now here's your chance. And you know what, Baila? If I squeeze my eyes closed tightly enough, you could be someone else. No, come on, right here. Right now, give it to me. Give me That's what it, you got. Coming with me. I'm taking you now. Don't let you touch me. Oh. I swear I will spear the last eye you have left. Do you know what makes you so much worse? It's the fact that you think you're so much better than him. Always pressing against me. Stealing lungs Get out.
1: That is one of the most charged scenes of this whole episode. And and I think it's so telling about Aaron's relationships with both Stark and Krace.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Because you have Stark who is so upset and so wants to take care of her. And she's like, don't touch me. Like she says it might be nice, but really she means don't touch me when he tries to touch her. And that bit at the end where he tries to drag her off and save, save her, save her from herself. And she draws a knife and has it over his eye and basically calls him on a season's worth of being creepy mm-hmm. on, at her.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a really good way of putting it, a season's worth of being creepy. <laughs> <laughs> I think that here you can kind of see that, again, she understands that her relationship with Krace is really charged and kind of like they have this backstory and this history and Krace at one point wanted her and both of them are still kind of putting that on is like, okay, well now that, now that Crichton's gone, now that John is gone, what does that mean for their relationship? But then at the same time, Stark is kind of just, uh, I don't know. It's really telling to me that when he says, I, I just want to take care of you. She's like, that would be nice. And then as soon as he goes to try and do it the way he wants to do it, she's like, don't touch me. Because I think she wants to actually be cared for. And what he wants is just something creepy and gross and codependent. You know? Mm -hmm.
1: Codependent, I think, is a good word for it. Because he's taken on this, this charge of caring for her in this really obsessive and quite possessive way. Yeah. You know, it's that whole he wants to... I don't know if he wants to control her, control her, but there's that element of... I have a way in my head of how this is going to happen and we're going to do it. So I guess it is kind of control Mm -hmm. and you should fall in line and, and do that plan. And when she calls him out on it at the end, it really is that nice guy TM thing. Like that's even worse than Chris, who is at least upfront with what he wants from me, where you're trying to manipulate me, manipulate me into, into this. It's that nice guy TM stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It really is because, you know, it's like that, that whole thing of like, well, I'm doing what I should be doing. So you should do what I think you should do, you know? Yeah. I think one of the dynamics going on, it really is this idea of Aaron as like a non-entity for Stark, where like mm-hmm. he's put so much into her that he really sees her as like something she's not, you know? Like I kind of mentioned it when he was like, you're just like Zan in the episode mm-hmm. with the sun attracting Talon, you know? And it's kind of like, she is not... So he's not mm-hmm. even really seeing her at all, you know?
1: Yeah. Well, it's a way that Stark is not dealing with his grief for Zan, right? Because he lost her and he hasn't been able to cope with that loss very well. His coping mechanism has been to obsess over Aaron and to put Aaron into Zan's traits or put Zan's traits onto Aaron, or have her fill that gap for him. Mm-hmm. Because she's there, and you know Zan saved her life, and that's that whole. I mean, I don't know if how much that plays into it, but there's that whole relationship kind of you know chain of relationship that goes where Zan is what connects the two of them.
0: Yeah. The other thing I want to talk about here is is Aaron herself because Claudia Black, oh my God, knocks this oh scene gosh. out yeah. of the park. First of all, she's she's playing it as Aaron is very drunk. But then there's that scene where she's like, she's on top of Bilar because he's on his knees with his hands behind his back. And she's on top of Bilar and she's like grabbing his hair and she's like whispering in his ear almost. And she's like just like, she's like screwing her eyes closed. And you can tell that like she is just trying to find a way to not hurt anymore. And the current way is by hurting both of these men who are like into her in like an inappropriate way or not inappropriate, but is is to hurt both of these men
1: who want something from her. Yeah.
0: Who want something from her who think they know best for her. And yeah, I don't know. She's just so good here. And it just like, you can see that her, her grief is like, lashing out and also just the struggle because again we've talked so much about how aaron isn't prepared for romantic feelings the peacekeepers don't prepare their soldiers for romantic feelings and she is not prepared for grief
1: Mm -mm, not at all or at least not the grief of losing a romantic partner because you know as we saw in taking the stone she did know how to handle chiana's grief Mm -hmm. And she has gone through losing people in the past, but losing someone as close to her and who meant as much as Crichton because the whole fact that she was in love with him and wanted to have a life outside of the peacekeepers with him, you know, that she was definitely not prepared for. Mm -hmm. And I want to talk a second about Crace here because Crace... In the scene, he's like, Zalex Sun is here. You should know that. She's probably coming after you. And he's tied up, and he is being remarkably not pushy for Krace. Mm-hmm. You know, we had a couple, several episodes early on where he's really pushing for Aaron to turn away from John, turn away from Moya's crew, join him, join Talon. It's kind of been a thread of their relationship. But here, Here, she's the one who's making a mockery of seduction, Mm -hmm. you know, because she's the one who she gets in his lap while he's helpless. She grabs his head. She whispers in his ear. I mean, all those things that could be romantic gestures, but in this case are basically saying, you are not the man I love and you never will be. Mm -hmm. And it's really cruel. I don't think Aaron shouldn't do it in a way. Like, it's not like, it's not like I have, like, I feel like, Crace's feelings are so fragile that he can't handle it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But it is a cruel way that she approaches him, even though I don't feel like she has to respect his feelings about her. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, because she's on, she's very, very often told him in very explicit terms that she does not want to be in a relationship with him. Yeah. I think that my whole thing with Crace's episode is we're kind of equating him with Stark because Stark is equating him with Stark. But Chris, honestly, in this whole episode, is not—I don't find that problematic. Do you know? No, he's—he's I mean? like, he's
1: being pretty chill, and he's actually feels to me fairly aware of Aaron and where she is—is is in her emotions and stuff, and he wants—he's—it feels to me more he's approaching it as a comrade to her rather than a romantic challenge.
0: Yes, I mean, I almost want to go back and kind of be like, you know. I just don't have a problem with how he's behaving in this episode. I don't think he's equal to, like, Stark. Like, Stark, I find very gross and manipulative and kind of, like, gross. I think it's just the word I'm going to settle on. (laughs) But here I'm like, Kreis is just kind of acting like a bro. You know, he's kind of, like, Mm -hmm. he's, he's fine. In the beginning of the episode, he isn't even like, she needs to come back on Talon so that I can take care of her. He's like, she needs to come back on Talon because she is in a dangerous situation. She is in mourning, and she is not thinking straight.
1: Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. And that's kind of how I feel about Kreis throughout this episode as well. Like, he's he's not overstepping that line as he has in the past and the way Stark is doing right now.
0: Yeah. And I think that goes back to my feelings about Grace this whole season, though, because I feel like... In season one and two, Crace's relationship with Aaron was kind of like... Well, in season two, really, because in season one, it was really only at the very, very end that we had any non-aggressive interactions with him and Aaron. But in season two, it really was like, a, you should come with me. We're both ex-peacekeepers. We're both the same. But then this whole season really has been like a deconstruction of his own feelings for her and like a mm-hmm. reconstruction of who he is as a person. These, I mean, it starts with, at the very beginning of the season... With, you know, Talon coming and being wounded and then Aaron being more empathetic towards Kreis. But then we also have like green eyed monster where he's legitimately telling her he's being very honest with her. This is the consequence of my melding with Talon. I would like you to come on and help me with Talon because I cannot handle him on his own anymore. You know, and it just feels like even though he does kind of have these remnants of feelings for her, I don't really think he's been that like bad this season.
1: Yeah. Well, it's almost like he had this crush and then he realized she was a person and then they became friends.
0: Yeah. That's what it feels like. Yeah. Yeah. Stark keeps equating his creepiness with, with Krace this whole, this whole episode. But I think probably the reality more is that the reason Aaron doesn't want to talk to Krace anymore is because Krace reminds her of what she's lost. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, like Krace is a very poignant reminder that like at one point, you know, there was this, like, love triangle between her and Crichton and Grace, and she chose Crichton, and now Crichton's gone, kind of thing. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah, I can see that. So, after the hallway scene, after a few other things, I can't remember exact order, but the third, let's bring Rigel in right now, because Rigel comes up to Aaron's room up the outside of it. He has his throne sled, it's anti-gravity, he goes up to her window, and Aaron is standing on this ledge, and she... Is looking out over the city, and I gotta say, Rigel, I'm gonna play it, but Rigel is kind of like Aaron's best friend in this whole situation. Yeah, you know.
2: Let me guess, you my long lost sister. Look, Aaron, I know you're upset. I too had someone important in my life. Keller was her name. <laughs> I missed her for a long time, but I knew, as I'm sure you do, that self-sacrifice is not the answer. Look, I'm not like Kreis or Stark. I'm not trying to save you or recreate with you. You can do whatever you like, but Crichton loved you, Eren. He wouldn't want his death to lead you here.
1: Rigel's just so sweet right here. And it's just it's on one hand so unexpected. And on the other, he and Aaron have a relationship that has grown and developed over several seasons where he's going to let go down his his barriers about letting people in and share this really intimate bit of his past with her to say, hey, I get where you're coming from. I'm not going to tell you what to do but love means more than being on the stump of a planet and considering jumping off this ledge
0: mhm yeah and it it just feels like the rigel from the very beginning of this episode too like the rigel that is seeing everything really clearly and i mm-hmm. think that it does come down to the fact that and, and this is my personal headcanon for this moment rigel is the the third person like the third party that's looking in on this situation that's very very tense for stark crais and aaron And he's the only one that's able to see it clearly. And he's so he's really the only one that actually is there for Aaron. Yeah,
1: it's a really nice moment. And and Aaron doesn't even yell at him. She's just like, go away. Mm -hmm. I'm just tired, you know? Yeah. And he doesn't push.
0: Well, and he doesn't push, but he also is kind of like, hey, let's go inside. You know, like, let's go inside. And. She's kind of, like, kind of thinking about it, but then, like, right as, as he's almost talked her into going inside and coming up off the ledge, <laughs> her dad knocks on the door. I mean, well, Talon, air quotes, I mean, which is, yeah, Talon. Fake Talon. <laughs> shows up with literally the creepiest puppet this show has ever done. This is the it's so creepiest creepy. puppet. Ugh. Yeah.
1: Creepy, creepy, creepy puppet. It looks like a little head, a baby head Except it's giant, so it's kind of like a cartoon brain. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I was trying to think of what cartoon it reminded me of, but um, I can't right now. It has four eyes, and it's like sexualizing up a little bit. It's like "touch me soft" at this really cute, creepy, creepy no, voice. Super
0: creepy. My husband said it was like maybe reminded him a little bit of something from Demolition Man, but I've not seen that. So, okay, yeah, and so yeah uh so creepy I think literally in my notes I was just like this is the creepiest thing this show has ever done in like a history of (laughs) relatively creepy stuff so creepy sexy baby which is a sentence I never want to say again (laughs) is like touch me soft and then he's like tell me about John and so she tells him like he made me a better person Mm -hmm. which is like just the most heartbreaking sentence she's ever said
1: yeah, and it goes back to like this thread between John and Aaron all the way back to the premiere of the show where he's like, You can be more. You can be more than just a peacekeeper. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of been this guiding theme of hers, her first story arc throughout the whole seasons of all the seasons of Farscape that we've seen.
0: Yeah. So then he like sees like a flash of like air quotes John's spirit being like, Aaron, mm-hmm. save me.
1: And then her her fake dad says, just stay right here in this room where you're not going to leave while I go find somebody who can make his spirit corporeal. And Aaron's like, that's impossible. And he's like, just believe. And it's very it's very Peter Pan and Tinkerbell. <laughs> <laughs> just have to believe hard enough and it'll happen. And Aaron's kind of drunk and done and sad. And, you know, she says, I came back from the dead. And then there's another one of those flashes with the ghost of John where she's lying on the bed and he appears to her and he's in the room with her and he's like, I can't come back. You know that, right? And this is really touching where it's like, she's having the real conversation with herself Mm -hmm. through seeing John with her like, no, he's really gone. And yes, he left and he didn't mean to, but he did. And now you have to live with the consequences of that. And so it's, That, for me, is one of the turning points for Erin, where she's really starting to finally accept that John is gone.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think, ironically, this whole con where they're trying to be like, ooh, maybe John can come back is, like, what actually helps her deal with what's going on. You know, Mm -hmm. it's, like, what actually helps her realize that, no, he's not coming back. So, creepy baby is apparently still there. So, like, literally everything that happens in this room happens with, like, this egg like the baby inside his like egg thing. So Mm -hmm. I'm just going to leave that there because that is the creepiest. (laughs) Anyway. So then Talon comes back and Zalex comes back. Dun, Dun,
1: dun, dun. And she has a weapon and she's like threatening Talon and Aaron. And the thing that struck me about this scene was she doesn't let Aaron speak very much. It's kind of her monologuing about, hey, I'm back. I'm going to kill your father now. I'm going to kill him in front of you, turn around. And, and she does. She, she makes him turn around and basically kills him execution style. But it feels to me like Zalak's living through this revenge fantasy mm-hmm. that she has set up because what she wants is to punish Aaron and for Aaron to feel her pain and the pain of losing her father in front of her face the way that Zalex had to kill aaron's father and i don't know it just on second watch not on first watch when i was still confused but on second watch it made me really kind of feel for zalux and how how much she has suffered you know yeah. not that it makes what she's doing right or anything or justifies it but that man the peacekeepers really did a number on her
0: yeah well i mean she says this thing that's kind of you know kind of weird but she's essentially like I was not bred to be an assassin, but I was bred to be a pilot. And then when after I killed Talon, they forced me to keep killing and killing and killing. And on the one hand, you're kind of like, well, peacekeeper pilots do a lot of killing. But I think (laughs) that's kind of from a distance. That's dropping bombs. That's shooting out people in space. They forced her to become an assassin that uses guns and weapons and close range and
1: and I think not not just that, but a, a tracker, right? Mm-hmm. So she has to get to know people she's hunting down intimately before she kills them, mm-hmm. right? Because she has dossiers on them. She's figuring out figuring out their habits. She's learning about their friends, you know? So she gets to know a person well before she's forced to kill them.
0: Yeah. I think the revenge fantasy actually is a really good way of putting it. And I think that, I don't know, like, in some ways, this works for me. Like, okay, so Zalex is so mad at her own daughter that she decides to go, you know, on this, like, really creepy revenge fantasy. But on the other hand, I'm kind of like, I, I'm i not 100%. The, this is the most appropriate subplot for this episode. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Because I feel like yeah. in Taking the Stone, it was like Chiana dealing with mortality... And dealing with her brother's death like the the whole subplot of like the kids killing themselves was like this kind of essay on mortality and -hmm. then it really fit nicely with Chiana's whole thing of like you know her being relatively young so her brother's death being unexpected you know and yeah but then here it's just kind of like Erin isn't really angry so like this whole subplot of her mom's rage I don't know that it works as well
1: yeah I see what you're saying I think part of what their writers are intending with this is, one, we never saw Zalex's body. So this is a way to resolve what happened with Zalex and did Kraser kill her or not. Mm-hmm. And so here, yes, she is alive, and eventually she is definitely dead. So that's one aspect of it. And I think the other aspect of it goes back to the title of this episode, which is The Choice. So I'm going to play another quote that's Zalex and Aaron talking. So Zalex has had a gun on Aaron this whole time. She says, you know... Did you suffer? I want to see you suffer and then they continue, continue talking some more where the subtext is at the end of all this, Alex is going to kill Aaron, but here's part of the conversation that I think kind of gets at the heart of why they chose to include Alex in this episode.
2: Wasn't killing Talon once enough. Or did you have to kill him in front of me? Is that what was missing? When I first met him, I knew he wasn't my father. But he knew all these details about you and me. You're lying. You didn't know. (laughs) Of course, I hoped that he might be telling, just as I hoped that I might see Crichton again. But in my heart, I knew that that was not my father. And then you walked in. You know, we peacekeepers think that we are so remarkable. Soldiers without equal, precise tacticians, pure blood. But I've realized that we're not remarkable. We do nothing for love. Not one thing. You're wrong. Cycles ago after your birth, I was given an order. They called it a choice. One of you must die, they said. I killed your father so you could live.
1: I did that
2: for love.
1: So you have here what I think is a kind of an odd reversal, honestly, but I like it. So you have Zalax trying to, to fulfill her revenge fantasy and have Aaron be broken up about Talon, air quotes Talon, being killed in front of her. And Aaron saying, hey, I knew he wasn't my father. I wanted him to be. I wanted to have that hope that they were alive, that he and John could be alive, even though I knew it wasn't. And then, you know, talking about the peacekeepers again and what she's learned about being a peacekeeper from not living with them or mm-hmm. what life is or isn't in the peacekeepers and they're like, there's no thing, nothing for love. And you have Zalex who's come in with this revenge fantasy of wanting Aaron to suffer and to suffer as she suffered, almost trying to comfort her. That's how it sounds like when she says, Hey, no, there is love amongst the peacekeepers.
0: Mm-hmm. It was me
1: saving your life and choosing to kill your father instead of you. And I did that because I loved you. Yeah. It's twisted. Twisted is all get out. But there's, I don't know. I mean, yeah. Zalitz is a twisted person. But still, it feels like she's trying to, to bring some comfort to Aaron that that despite all the best efforts of the peacekeepers, there was love in there, even though it got twisted later.
0: Yeah, no, no. I see what you're saying. And I think maybe then then kind of the, the way that these two plots interlock is kind of this idea that if Aaron is in grief and she's in mourning then her possibility is either to grow out of it and to kind of reach for love again or her possibility is to become as twisted as Alex where all she wants is for everybody around her to hurt, which we kind of yeah. saw in her confrontation with Krace and and Stark is this idea yeah. of like, I want everybody to hurt as much as I do right now.
1: I really like how you put that though because I hadn't thought of it that way Of of where she comes out of it at the end you know yeah like how how she can respond to the, her grief
0: oh so many good twisty thoughts here <laughs> yeah yeah. yeah. No, no no it's good hmm okay so yeah you've sold me i don't know plus i just like <laughs> the actress that's playing zalex here oh she's
1: good she's good you know so so while they've been having this conversation uh all the people that zalex paid in the hotel have opened fire on crace and rigel and stark stark is hearing zan's voice again so he's kind of gone off Rigel says, uncuff Crace in another very funny delivery. And Crace has gone up uh, like a secret elevator, like the staff elevator, Mm -hmm. to Aaron's floor and has entered the apartment or the hotel room with a gun. And he sees Zalex now trying to kill Aaron with gun raised, except Aaron has been talking her down. Like they've had this conversation about the choice that Zalex had to make. And then Zalex like, okay, now time for you to die. And Aaron's like, you seem to be having trouble. Why don't you come out here on this ledge with me? And maybe it'll be easier up close. It's kind of, you know, Aaron is not afraid. Like you can kind of tell she's got that kind of like, I don't think she's suicidal, but she's wouldn't be sad if she died kind of mentality. Mm -hmm. And was while they're on that ledge that Chris sees the situation as Alex threatening Aaron and shoots her even as she puts her gun down. So it's another one of those tragedies of the timing. Aaron manages to catch her before she falls but Zalix is going to die. And she says, let me go. And it, this is another one of those heartbreaking scenes where she's like, just let me go. I've already died a long time ago. You should live for me. And it's just like, oh, your mother telling you that after trying mm-hmm. to kill you. Like, there's this closure that you get out of that.
0: Yeah. And you can't really blame Krace for shooting Zalix here because no, she is not at all threatening Aaron out on a ledge. <laughs>
1: <laughs> totally. And it totally makes sense for him to do it. So, yeah, I don't blame Krace at all, but it's, you know, as I said, it's why it's the tragedy of timing, right? Yeah,
0: Yeah, it is. Five
1: seconds later, five seconds earlier.
0: I think it would have been an interesting show if they'd been having Zalex come along. (laughs) tag along on on Moya and Talon. (sighs) Uh, So then the episode ends with Krace and Rigel back up on Talon. Rigel is holding Stark's face mask, and they're watching a video of Stark saying goodbye and being like, Hey, make sure you give this you give my face mask to the other John when you guys find him. And Talon yep. has found Moya. And then Krace says this really weird thing where he's like, Well, as soon as we get to Moya and you can find somebody else to pilot Talon, I'm out.
1: Yeah, I thought that was weird too. It kind of felt like it came out of the blue.
0: Yeah. A little bit. Well, in more than coming out of the blue, it, it was like earlier in the episode too, Stark and Rigel get cuffs on Krace. While he's in Talon, in Talon's command center, which we've seen like mm-hmm. multiple times, Talon willing to like open fire on people to defend Kreis. So like, yeah, I think maybe it's just like this whole season, kind of one of the undercurrents has been that that Talon doesn't trust or like Kreis.
1: Yeah, their relationship has been deteriorating.
0: Yeah, I just wish they'd been like a little more explicit if that's what it was.
1: Yeah, I agree that it sounded weird when I heard it as well because there wasn't a lot to support it. Yeah in the rest of the episode in
0: the rest of the episode like in the context of the season there's stuff but then they don't really like connect it they don't reference it yeah yeah so erin on the planet has taken off her like velvet outfit again not a fan but like whatever (laughs) and so she's taken off her velvet outfit she's putting back on her pk garb she's putting back on her pk weapon Mm -hmm. and then she sees john who's at the window and he's like come and look over here and she doesn't even really look at him she's just like no i'm not yeah. i'm not doing this anymore
1: and and one of the things she says right there also at the end is with you i could have been a better person and now i must be the person i was bred to be right mm-hmm. so it's it's like it feels like a moment of rejecting her life with john and coming back to a more peacekeeper style of life Mm-hmm. And because of the clothing change and her weapons, you know, it feels like her she's putting on armor again to protect herself from the kind of emotional grief that she's been going through. Yeah. And it almost feels like she can't go back to being open with John. Yeah. She can't be, go back to going back to that person.
0: Yeah, that makes sense.
1: And then the creepy baby pops up again at the
0: <laughs> end. The creepy baby. Which, again, like, apparently this creepy baby has literally just been in the room for all this dramatic stuff.
1: Yeah. Yeah, he's been in his little his little shell thing, and he says, do you want to try again? Because I know a lot of this stuff is fake, but for you, it was almost real. It was probably real, so we should try again, and she just walks off. And it's a lot more dramatic. I'm making light of it as I repeat it here. But I got to say one more time, we said a couple of episodes now, but the music score for this episode because there's so much silence on Aaron's part it mm-hmm. really plays a huge role in conveying Aaron and her emotions and her emotional state and just kudos to Gygros again for the composition because it was also very good
0: yeah definitely i'll second the music thing because it works on like it works a lot mhm so yeah that's pretty much the episode i think i liked it a lot i think there were some things i didn't i didn't like as much but Overall, I think it really was a good way of having Aaron grieve. It felt mm-hmm. like a realistic way of having her grieve.
1: Yeah, it did. And it also tied up uh, Zalex's storyline. It's got the p- crew positioned back to Moya. It's got Stark off on another quest. It's got Rigel and Krace set up to go back with Aaron so I think it also does a good job of kind of closing out some of the threads that we've seen through the Talon John arc. Even yeah. Though he's not with us anymore, but that arc of the crew on Talon. What would you give the episode?
0: Um, probably a four, maybe a four and a half. It it was good. Yeah. I, I, it wasn't like a perfect episode for me, but it was a really good episode.
1: Yeah, I'd go more three and a half, four, I think. And I think it's partly because I don't like episodes that I find confusing. And this one I definitely found confusing on the first watch or my first rewatch of it. First watch and first rewatch. it wasn't until I was like taking notes and really mm-hmm. paying attention and tracking everything that i I felt like I finally understood what was going on from moment to moment,
0: yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's not my favorite favorite, but I don't know. we talked about all the things I liked about it, so
1: yeah, no, it's a solid it's a solid episode, I'm just. I just think the writers should be clear. I appreciate clear writing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, and especially the thing with, like, Craze at the end of, like, okay, I'm just going to leave you guys a talent. I'm like, what?
1: <laughs> What's going on? Yeah. yeah. But that said, I love Aaron's arc. I think Aaron's arc is basically what sells it for me. And I even like the Zalek stuff with her at the end. Like, it didn't weird me out that she came back at all.
0: Yeah. So on Wardrobe Watch, we have... John wearing his human reaction clothing like a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Aaron in that weird like purple velvet outfit.
1: Yeah. And everyone else is in their normal attire. Zalex actually is also different. She's got short hair mm-hmm. now. Her ponytail has been cut off and she's got like crazy person hair like sticking out all over her mm-hmm. head.
0: Oh, and apparently she lost her leg, even though we don't see it. It's just reference. She got to do one. <laughs> in that well, it's just referenced because like Erin looks at it and she's like, and like Zox is like, oh, yeah, my leg got infected and I had to amputate it myself. And I was like, I it felt like maybe something where they had intended to like maybe have us actually see a close up of her fake leg. But then we never mm-hmm. did.
1: Yeah, it was covered in pants, but she got a prosthetic from somewhere. And yeah, so so that's the episode. Next week, we have Fractures, which is the one that reunites our Moya and Talon crews. So it's a good one to watch. Yeah,
0: stick around for that. Uh, If you want to get in contact with us, we are Farscape Friday podcast at dreamwithtumblr and gmail.com. We are also Farscape Friday on Twitter.
1: And shout out to new listeners. We've heard from a few of you, and it's been great fun. Yeah. Keep your comments coming. And also, we are going to have a season three wrap-up episode at the end of season three obviously Um, so if you have themes or questions or things you want to talk about about season three please share them with us and we will be happy to share voice memos or read aloud your comments on our our wrap up show
0: oh also I want to do a quick correction from last episode apparently I said Ren and Stimpy when I meant itchy and scratchy so I am mentioning that here so that my husband will stop harassing me about it (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Oh, wow. All right. Well, (laughs) we will see you guys next week.
1: Take Take care.